the Team Performance Podcast with Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Performance Winning Ways for Uncertain Times podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined by one of the most intelligent, insightful, thoughtful, and motivated people on planet Earth that I know, Spencer Horn. Spencer, how are you doing? Christian, so kind. I am so good. Uh, great to be with you. Got the, you, you got the the black theme, you know, you're a, oh my gosh, what's his name? The Ring of Fire. Why can I never remember it? It's Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Yes. <laughs> Johnny Cash uh, nod, tip to the hat there. Yeah. I got to lower my voice an octave or so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So yeah, we're celebrating Johnny Cash. Not really. I'm just uh, lazy and still have my hoodie on and it's a little bit cold in my house and I don't want to take the hoodie off. So I'm just being nice and cozy. That's the way to be on a chilly December, chilly December morning. Yeah, no, I I was outside early on this uh, December morning, had to, had to bundle up to go for my run. Oh, how was that? I, I love it. I love running in the cold. It, it, and I got some new uh, add-ons to go on my my uh, trail runners. So when it gets icy, I, I won't slip. You know, I just those little cleats. Well, that sounds really, really cool. I have to say that my wife and I have transitioned to walking in the afternoons when the sun is out. Yeah, And we've been very fortunate this year, this winter, this early part of winter so far, where we've had pretty good weather. And it's been sunny in the afternoon, so it's warm. It's tolerable to go out for a nice walk for an hour or so in the afternoons. The mornings, though, I mean, it's just a little bit. It's a little bit too cold for me. I checked this morning; it was like twenty degrees outside. I thought, nope. yeah, it's twenty. What is that like? Minus five Celsius? Yeah, it's about minus six Celsius or so, six or seven. Yeah, so it's it's cold. It's cold out well, there. I am trying to go a little later, but my schedule is great. But when I go early, I have my head headlamp so I can, you know, I can see. I go run in the in the dark and just gotta bundle up. But it just feels it feels good once you get out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just all about the proper gear, right? You gotta have the proper gear. Yeah, absolutely. You do have to have the proper gear. Well, that's fun. So you did a run. What about the weekend? Uh, anything eventful happen on the weekend? Absolutely. So, you know, Sundays are always great church and just family and watched a a great Christmas message and, and, you know, Christmas videos and, you know, the birth of the uh, Christ child, like, you know, we're Christian. So for me that, you know, that's, that has special meaning. And then on Saturday, I went for a hike with my, with my wife and then we went shooting. (laughs) So, you know, we're, we just got, well, I, I won't talk about that, but um, we did go practice. So she's more comfortable with the uh, with the handguns and we went up to a range and, and practice, you know, proper handling and maintenance of of uh, of the guns. And um, here in the United States, we have some freedom to be able to uh, to use those. And, and so that that was just helping her be more confident. So it's it's a lot of fun, actually, to target and practice shoot. So, so, we, uh, we did that. so how, how, how close to the targets did you get? Oh my gosh. She was amazing. She did. She did great. And I did. Okay. I, I had mine back a little bit further, my target uh, a little bit further away than, than hers, but uh, that, that was fun. The hardest part is loading the, the magazine when it's cold and your hands are in cheap. 
she cut her hand on the on the magazine. She okay? She's fine. It's just a little, little, little cut, but it was, you know, it's hard. It hurts your, hurts your fingers. That's the hardest part I think about, about doing it. And then just, you know, the, the rest of it is handling the gun and cleaning it and taking it apart. It takes a little bit of, of strength, you know, and you got to have grip. And, and so just getting comfortable with that process is uh, I think empowering, but interesting also. gives you a good excuse to do your target shooting down in Las Vegas or Phoenix or something where it's a little warmer, right? Like, Oh, it's, uh, it's cold outside. Let's, uh, let's go down to Arizona. Right. Right. <laughs> um, but that, how was your weekend? What about you? Uh, it was pretty relaxed. I mean, we didn't really do much, um, other than the things that you just mentioned, you know, church and, and, and those kind of things and yeah, getting ready for Christmas, uh, but uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty relaxed. Did a little bit of work on the, on the website, you know, trying to get that thing up for the life stories. And, and uh, other than that, it was, it was pretty good. And now we're back into the thick of it. It's Monday again, and we're working hard, right, Spencer? We are. And I, absolutely. And worked also a lot during the weekend, which I didn't talk about in between, but Today is uh, an interesting anniversary for the United States of, you know, Pearl Harbor, right? That's right. And for me, uh, I had, I just finished the fifth episode of Dan Carlin. If you ever listen to Dan Carlin's hardcore history, oh my goodness. If you're a history fan, it is, he is so much fun. He, he, he claims to not be a historian. He's a fan of history, but he puts together amazing podcasts. And uh, I've listened to most of what he's he's put out. But he did a series. It's called The Supernova in the East. And it is all about Japan and, you know, the philosophy and where where they really uh, how they decided to fight the war and, and why. And, you know, just the warrior ethos that they had and and some of the. Uh, just the impacts of that on the nation, on the people, and of course, on, on the rest of the world. But it was fascinating. So we just got to uh, Saipan, you know, but it started in like 1937 when they invaded uh, Manchuria and China. And even before that, actually, from World War One, just and where this uh, anyway, we, we could spend a whole rabbit, go down a rabbit hole with that, but it was fascinating. I can't wait for the final one. It's probably going to come next year because it takes so long for him to put these podcasts together, but it will be Iwo Jima all the way up till the, um, the, uh, surrender of, of Japan and the atomic bomb dropping and, and, and uh, why that happened. And when you listen to this and, and what the people at that time were thinking about and what we were going through as a nation fighting the the japanese uh to me it makes so much more sense and why they made that decision so really understanding history is um is something that i love and so that that's something that i've been doing recently that's what i listen to when i go on my runs <laughs> <laughs> well and i think before we go any further uh, uh a big thank you right to all of those who served and helped uh, protect freedom uh during that uh really intense period. Oh my gosh. I can't, I can't even, you know, the, all wars is terrible. The, you know, the Atlantic front, the Western front, awful, terrible, but 
I just, I really didn't know as much about this Pacific war as, uh, as I had the Western front. I mean, I had studied that so much more and it was just horrific Christian. I, I, you know, the people, they say the difference that you could see in the veterans, you could, you could visibly see the difference. And, you know, people, a lot of veterans just don't want to talk about their experiences. That was even more of a, a of an issue for a lot of the Pacific theater uh, veterans. And um, they just experienced and saw so many horrible things and so grateful, as you say, to them for their sacrifices. And Which takes us to, I think, one other thing I want to talk about before, you know, we sacrificing right now in the situation that we're in as a world, there's not, I don't think anybody that's not being impacted, almost anybody that's not being impacted by this. And so certainly, you know, one of the things that I'm learning is, is that that greatest generation, they really sacrificed for our freedoms. And, and sometimes we're not as willing to sacrifice to, to be able to help each other. And, and I think that's something that we need to be willing to do. So as a vaccine is is coming online, actually this month, and probably most of us won't get it until next summer or, or even by next year this time. How are you feeling about uh, the prospects of, of this new type of vaccine, which I'm kind of interested in? Well, I think it's interesting because there are several manufacturers who have taken various pathways to to find a a vaccine, which is promising. And uh, I'm optimistic that things will work out. There's a lot of unknown still. And and because the virus hasn't been along around a long time and the vaccines even less, we don't really understand the long-term implications, but uh, if, uh, if a vaccine can help us restore some kind of sense of, I don't know, confidence in yeah. actually being social again, I think it will be really, really helpful. So I'm, I've got fingers crossed. Yeah. I, you know, I remember when you and I started this, podcast back in March, you know, we were saying this will end and here we are how many months later. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's potentially ending, you know, next year. And if you look at the pandemic of 1918, it took two years as well to really get through that. And this is, so this is not abnormal. We will get through this, of course, as we said back then, it's just a lot longer than, than we anticipated, but I, I, you know, typical vaccines are you know, some vaccines, for example, they introduce a weakened version of the of the virus to your body so that you, it can build immunity. Right. Um, others you know, are based on on proteins. But this whole mRNA is really a, an interesting, uh, a different style of, of vaccine. And what I understand is, you know, when our, our cells, each of our cells has a nucleus and in the nucleus, you have the, the DNA. And then that creates protein by creating an uh, RNA strand, right? Which then creates protein in, in the cytoplasm, right? And so what this vaccine apparently does is introduce into the cytoplasm, not into the nucleus, but into the cytoplasm and uh, mRNA that, that instructs the cell to create one of those spiky proteins, which then your body will react to and attack and create an immune system. But then as the cell dies, that mRNA is flushed out of the system. 
but the immune system has been stimulated and it's an ingenious way to, to, I think, create that, that, um, that resistance. Now I have to say, I mean, I'm going to be right up front. I'm not a scientist. I, not? I know my daughter's a biology major. She knows more about this than I do. And, yeah. and so my, my understanding of this is rather shallow, um, but it does sound quite innovative and promising. And, and I have to say that actually takes us to something that I wanted to talk about, which was this article yeah. that I saw a couple of days ago online <clears throat> that was titled how to become a T-shaped employee and what, what they were referencing. Better than a pear-shaped employee. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. An apple, a pear, or a T, but the, the implication yeah. with the letter T, if you look at the letter T yeah. in the Latin alphabet, the letter T, the capital letter T uh, has a, a line that goes horizontally and then a line that goes vertically. Right. And the concept of a T-shaped employee is someone that has a deep knowledge in a specific area, but also has a broad set of knowledge across a, a wide range of topics, not necessarily at a lot of depth in, in that broad spectrum, but does have that broad spectrum to complement this very deep uh, skill level. And I think what you just demonstrated there, Spencer, with your discussion of MRNA <laughs> uh, was, was you do have a broad uh, range of skills, but you also have a very deep set of skills when it comes to team performance and leadership and coaching and training and uh, mentoring and things of that nature. And that's what's, that's, that's the, the model employee moving forward is organizations need more T's. They need, um, they need less people who are solely focused in one area and they also don't just need people who are jack of all trades and masters of none, but they need right. someone who, who has a focus, but also can apply a wide uh, range of disciplines. You know, I think that that's, uh, it's so right. I mean, I, I remember growing up, I always heard the idea is, you know, focus, you know, know more and more about less and less, right? You want to be really focused in your, uh, in your expertise. And this is saying that that is still true. You want to have someone that that is deep in in knowledge and specifically technology, which it, it sounds a little bit counterintuitive to a conversation we had recently about AI and, and staying relevant, right? But in, on the other hand, it 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 is in alignment with that because you know as those skills become replaced, a lot of the skills that are technical become replaced by AI. Um, you know, we want to have these other soft skills because that will enhance your, your attractability to employers. And what this is saying is that right now, don't, don't be, uh, you know, don't be seduced by AI is going to solve all our problems right away. Instead, you still need that, that, that technical ability, but you need someone that can take a more agile approach. And you and I have also had a conversation about what that means to be, to be agile. Right. And one of the things that I think is so important for organizations to have in, a, in an environment right now that is fraught with crises, right, with unknowns, is you need adaptability. You need people to be able to uh, solve problems very quickly. I mean, think about this whole idea of, 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 of developing a vaccine very, very quickly in a short period of time compared to, you know, 20, 30 years 
or fast even 10 years that it would, you know, might have taken. It's just happened so, so quickly. It, and what we've learned is if you can get cross-functional teams together to solve problems, the the solutions will come faster and your ability to adapt and respond to challenges will be much better. But that requires employees that are going to be able to work with people from other departments and be able to have a cursory understanding of what other people do and to be able to collaborate in a way that solves better problems than somebody who is just like, dogmatically, this is, this is what I do. And here's the, you know, I'll focus on, I'll do my work and then I'll bring it to you and you do your work. That just never is as effective as uh, someone who is able to uh, understand the, the skills that are necessary to be agile and thinking and collaboration and innovation, which is needed more now than ever. So let's talk about those. I'm going to quote from the article. I'm just reading it here off my screen. This is McKinsey, McKinsey modeling. So the McKinsey (laughs) suggests the the demand for management roles and occupations such as ICT and engineering. Again, this is a this is appearing in a technology publication. So credit is due as itpro.com. The article is how to become a T-shaped employee by Renee Millman. Uh, But. It's written, McKinsey modeling suggests the demand for management roles and occupations such as ICT and engineering will increase by approximately 1.4% per year, yet by 2030, more than 10 million UK workers, around 30% of all UK workers, could be underskilled in leadership, communication, and decision-making. It's not only UK, it is everywhere we're underskilled. It's a problem that employers are feeling great pain in right now. I mean, I'm talking to a huge organization and it is, they're coming to me and saying, we need help with critical thinking, with just communication. You know, I mean, without naming any names, it's, you know, this major franchise where the, the corporate representatives will go into the the franchise stores and they're just very transactional and they're not getting the results that they want. They just, you know, they, they don't have the communication skills. They're not able to get out of their own way. And a lot of times as as we've talked in the past, that's behavior based. And, and so part of the agile mentality is, is that instead of just behaving or thinking a certain way, predictably you learn how to adapt and, and flex. And that's a skill that is in high demand right now. It requires empathy. You know, we've talked, how much time have we talked about empathy, right? And, exactly. And that's, and so it, it takes a desire to connect with others. So. Well, that, that takes me right to another quote. I mean. Uh, I'm just talking off the top of my head here, man. Yeah. And, and so. <laughs> So this is according to, and again, this is in the article, according to Anthony Tattersall, who is the vice president over the European, Middle East, and Asia uh, uh, region at Coursera, which is an online uh, learning platform. Right. Yeah. Which serves up millions of courses. Uh, Anthony says, quote, one of the main qualities that sets the T-shaped employee apart from others is their empathy, Mm. right? Demonstrating empathy is not only good for morale, it is also more likely to result in a person helping another 
to explore building another discipline. And then that helps further strengthen your team. Right. Well, so, so if you're, if it's just, Hey, you know, it's, it's only, uh, you know, the IT has the answers. We don't have marketing. They're just, they're too difficult to work with. And having empathy means that maybe there's somebody on another team that, that has some ideas or perspectives that will actually help you improve yours. And what's really interesting about this is, is it, it's a bit of an evolution from old thinking of analysis paralysis, right? Sometimes yeah. you were, you were worried about getting too many people involved in a conversation because you never get a resolution. If you're trying to build consensus, sometimes you can never make decisions. And, and that may still be true, but at the same point, if you just go in on your own and you make decisions based on the limited view that you have, um, then chances are you'll make the, you'll make the wrong decision because you, you don't have a holistic view of everything. Right. If you don't have an accurate view of the landscape, if you don't have proper perspective, then it's difficult to make, um, effective decisions. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think what you said earlier is also true. And that is, uh, you know, the, the idea of being agile means you actually get to limit the size of, of the cross-functional team. If there's too many, remember we have what's called a, a four factorial brain, right? So if you, if you think of a factor of four, you know, we, we remember things that are in combinations of four or even three is better. So think of a factor, a mathematical factor of four, which is four times three times two times one, which is 24. So if you have four people on a team, just the complexity of the conversations and the things you have to keep track of multiply. If you add one person to that, a factor of five, it, it, it grows exponentially, right? So the more people you have, the more you have to keep track of, the more complexities, the more difficulties that, that you introduce into the collaboration. So one of the ideas is, is if you're a manager, you know, especially during a crisis, we talked about this in the past, to let go of control is to, is to give some, some authority to a small group of people that are cross-functional to come up with a solution and then present that. And then you can have a, a second layer, but to, to have, you know, you, you want to limit it so that you have that cross-functional and the big picture view rather than just that, that singular view. But if you, if you add, you know, we think, well, more is better, right? Well, let's have a bigger cross-functional team. Then it, you actually get diminishing returns. I, so I don't know if I answered your question. You, you did, but I've got a question on an individual level, you know, yeah. The idea of a T-shaped employee is that I've got, uh, I've got a, I'm a person that has a deep, yeah. I've got a deep marketable skill in one specific area. And I complement that with a broad set of skills across multiple disciplines. Yeah. But if I'm not a T now, then what do I need to do to become a T? I could be, I could, I could be uh, an L where I have a, or a number one where I've got this deep uh, skill set, but I don't have the broad cross function, or I could be the jack of all trades, master of none, who is a generalist that, you know, spans across many things, but doesn't have any deep specialty in any one particular thing. You know, what's your advice for people to, to become the well-rounded T? Well, I think for, 
the, the the first part of your question is if you if we're talking about someone that has a, a deep skill, whether that be medical or technical, that's that's a great place to to start. I work with lots of engineers, medical professionals, and and they're brilliant in their area. But there's often a lot of pain in those organizations because they don't have that the broad uh, skills to work with other people. So. One of the things I do in my coaching is I identify, I start with identifying a behavior that perhaps is causing the most amount of pain or or trouble for an individual, an executive. And and we start there. You know, this whole idea is, you know, just just focus on your strengths, focus on your strengths. I is really anathema to me because it means that you're not willing to to learn and to, and to grow. But I, what I, where I think we start, Christian, I, I just it's it's just coming to my mind, you know, because we're figuring this out as we go here. You may have read this book called um, Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, or you've heard about it. It's been around for for many many years. I, I think it starts with having uh, the idea or, or developing what's called a growth mindset. A lot of times people who are very proficient in, in one area have more of a fixed mindset. It is, you know, I have to be perfect. I have to know everything to take action. I can't, you know, I, I don't want to be wrong. I want to be right. That, that's, that, that's where some of that analysis paralysis comes from you talk about. Does that resonate with you a little bit? Yeah, it does. Um, what also resonates with me is the fact that people who are typically um, very expert in a particular area, you know, it takes time and energy to continue to maintain your level of expertise in whatever area that you're focused right. on to to maintain your relevance. And so if transitioning from an L to a T means I've got to layer on top of that even more learning, yeah. then I can become overwhelmed, like, man, you know, it's going to take too much effort for me to change my ways, to evolve, to, to grow, not just in my, in my specific area of expertise, but grow across a broad, you know, set of skills. I I don't know if I can make that kind of commitment. Well, so, you know, there's a lot of great organizations out there you know, CPA organizations, I work a lot with the Project Management Institute all all around the world. And, and these organizations for their ongoing education have actually built in the ability to develop those T skills. So for example, with PMI, they have a a triangle where they have technical skills, they have uh, strategic business and then leadership. And so as part of their ongoing uh, professional development, you have to have so many professional development units every year to maintain your uh, designation as an expert in, in project management. And, it, and a lot of societies and, and associations have a very similar, but as part of that, they require that you have uh, some of those, those development units be these type of soft skills. And, and that's really, that's really great. But the, the, the question goes, what I'd like to do is answer your question this way. And that is, um, just start. I said, start with one thing, right? It's like anything. It's not going to come overnight. You developed an expertise. You have education, you have experience, maybe you have decades of experience. 
you know, it, it took you a long time to get there. But with these T-shaped skills, you're, you're going to have to develop them, but you have to continue right now to focus on your core business. Maybe that's your, your, your deep expertise, but begin to work on some of these soft skills. Maybe it's communication. Maybe it's just uh, understanding what happens to you under pressure and, and what the impact that is, you know, some more emotional intelligence awareness. But I like this idea of, of starting with developing a, a flexible mindset or a growth mindset, right? And that means you have to be, well, that means you're somebody that's a little more comfortable with ambiguity, with feedback, not being the expert or not knowing it all. And this is something that I haven't always had, Christian. I was very much a fixed mindset type of person where if, if I was, you know, giving a presentation, you know, to my employees or in the boardroom, if I didn't do a good job and people gave me feedback, I would get defensive. I would be disappointed. I, I didn't look forward to that feedback because it was criticism that I was like, Oh man, I, you know, because I, I wanted to be that person that was admired and, and, and knowledgeable and, and to be accurate. But today I have a much different perspective. I, I feel like, you know, getting feedback is a gift because I can learn and grow from that. Uh, I don't look at that as, uh, Oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have someone tell me what I did wrong. It's like, okay, how can I get better? And that makes it possible for me to hear different perspectives from people who may not have the same expertise that I have. And I think that's a great place to start. You know, you are brilliant in your field. You got letters behind your name, MD, you know, uh, whatever the attorney that you've got all, you've spent all this money and, and capital experience putting those letters behind your name. Start getting comfortable, getting uncomfortable. That's a place I think we ought to start. That's really, really interesting. You know, talking about the empathy kind of thing, you mentioned something that really, really um, struck me, which was, which was the, the, the criticism is a gift. And that's not, that's a gift that's not always easily given, right? Because it sometimes puts the giver in an uncomfortable position as well to say, well, you know, you could have, because it, it potentially invites conflict. And so sometimes people are reticent to, to offer up some constructive criticism because they're afraid of the consequences. And so um, part of this uh, empathy is making people feel safe to, to open up and actually tell you what they really think, you know, so you're not surrounded by yes, men and yes, women, right. You, you get people who give you honest, honest feedback. And then uh, when you have that, that honesty, that demonstrates that you have built a relationship of trust with your subordinates, with your partners, with your colleagues, uh, with your friends, with your family members, whatever your team might be. And they feel comfortable sharing with you and you feel comfortable in receiving the responses. I think it ends up creating a kind of a virtuous cycle. Right. You know, uh, you, you bring up another interesting point, and I won't mention the name, but it is somebody you know that you met at, at my retreat uh, that works for um, a, an interesting organization. And, and she reports directly into the CEO of this business division. 
well, this business division is then part of a, a larger organization where the president of the larger organization um, has a good relationship with this person that, that you and I met. But the CEO restricts her, you know, this, this, this uh, person from going to the president because he wants to um, control her a little bit. She's, she is uh, uh, smart, charismatic, brilliant, right? Has all this, this great input, but this CEO is threatened by that. Would rather have yes people around him would rather have people that, that doesn't rock the boat. And a lot of CEOs are like that. And it, 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 it puts this person in a, in a very difficult position. Do they, do they allow their brilliance to, to shine and, and speak up when they disagree with the executive or the leader of, of this division? Or do they, do they lead? Or do they against you know, the, 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 the expressed wishes of that person go around them and say, Hey, you know, this is, this is what's going on and, and uh, potentially threaten their career. I mean, it, it, this happens every day because so many leaders have this fixed mindset, Christian. Well, and, uh, I, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. It's interesting because to coming back to this article, um, basically what's going to set individuals apart and what's going to set organizations mm -hmm. apart yeah. Is this adaptable T approach uh, to right. people, to teams, and to entities, organizations? Right. And those who do not adapt will ultimately fall by the wayside. And so, you know, organizations, when looking at their own long-term survival, they they need to be very uh, pragmatic and say, okay, well, you know, what are we going to do here? Are we going to continue to put up with this kind of behavior where we only get the, you know, the yes men, uh, heard, or do we allow for more, a more diverse uh, set of opinions to give us a better view of things so we can make better decisions? Because ultimately, if you just rely on the yes men and the yes women, then your organization is going to fail, you know, and you as a CEO will have that failure on your CV for the rest of your life that you didn't pull this off. And so, you know, I think it's, I think we're getting to a point where individuals and teams and organizations and leaders, they need to start making some, some, uh, big boy decisions, as we would say, you know, you, you, you've got to, you've got to some, make some adult decisions here and say, okay, what are we really going to do? Um, uh, are we going to continue playing these politics or right. are we actually going to try to get things done and satisfy well, our, our customers and build, build our, build our organizations to realize their long-term potential. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that requires though, letting go of, of some control. And, and that is even more difficult in, in crises, right? Because as we said before, the tendency is to consolidate control and to, and to hold on to information when what is actually needed right now is to open up control. It is actually in having a, a T shaped executive, right. That is willing to open up communication and bring his departments together and, and bring in people who don't necessarily agree so that you make better decisions. Isn't it interesting how people can react to these crises? I mean, as individuals or as organizations, you can either look at it as, like you said, it's a threat and we need to kind of close ranks and just keep doing things the way we've been doing them. And, you know, right. fine. 
or we can view these crises as opportunities to reinvent ourselves. You know, and it actually or organizationally. Yeah, no, it, it, it actually provides an opportunity for innovation. <laughs> Given you have a willingness to have that growth mindset, to look at things differently and, and, uh, and it can force you to do that. But if you, if you, you know, attempt to go forward the way you've always done, uh, this is, you know, this is called the no- novel coronavirus, right? Which means it's a new coronavirus. There's been other coronaviruses, but this is a new situation for many of us. And so what has worked last month, last year doesn't work today. So that requires an agile mentality and approach. And it, it, so, so where to start? I would start there with just the concept of, of being okay with not knowing everything, getting comfortable, getting uncomfortable. And, you know, if you can get comfortable getting uncomfortable, I think that's a great place to start because that's where learning starts, right? And, and, and certainly you can be overwhelmed, but just start by admitting that, you know what, if, if, if I can just open my, my mind, my, my thoughts to the fact that somebody out there, maybe even on my team has information that I don't. And I guarantee you every executive out there listening to this does not have all the answers. They just don't. And, and there may be people. And I think one of the things that the article even talks about is, is that sometimes the people that have the best information are not ones that have grown up in your industry. In other words, it, it, you know, when we hire, we look for people that have these skill sets. You might actually look for someone outside so that they have a different way of seeing the problems that you're facing. And that, that, that takes a growth mindset. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm just thinking back to a conversation I had uh, with a client not too long ago. And the client says, he very bluntly said, well, here's the reason that we keep using you you have uh, a rather unique confluence of three things. Number one is a, a pretty deep technical skill. Number two is a, is a pretty deep uh, level of industry expertise. And the third one is you have really good interpersonal skills. And well, they're learning really what I already know. It's really hard to find people that have these. And yeah. so even though I'm in a niche that's relatively small, I can stay relevant because I have these. If I, if I, if I didn't have them, I would probably be out of work right now. You would be a commodity. A com- it's a, you're commoditized when you don't develop these skills. So this is the answer to your own question. I don't have the time or I'm overwhelmed. Well, there's going to come a time when you will be relegated to irrelevance if you're not willing to start working on them. Oh, that's, that's, that's what drives me. Right. (laughs) I got to keep, I got to keep getting work. I got to, I got to feed my family. And the only way I can do that is stay relevant. If the, once I'm, once I'm not relevant anymore, then what am I going to, how do you do that Christian? I mean, what's, how do how do you continue to develop those skills? 
I have my perspective, but I like to hear what, what, how do you do that? Uh, well, on the technical side, I'm curious. So exactly what I was going to say, you are curious. I don't just say, oh, well, I can't do this. Well, let me, let me ask uncle Google and see if I can figure this out. So, um, because a lot of times I I work with people, you work with people where they just like, well, how do how do I do this in word or how do I do this in Excel? You know, so they ask you these questions and I have those same questions, but I will, I will spend the time to try to figure it out. You know, I, I will try to figure out how do I do this in Adobe Premiere? How do I, you know, is there an online animation tool that I can use to create this video? What is a different way of looking at it? How can I solve this problem? Yeah, how can I solve this particular problem? So, so one is just a, it's just because I'm curious and I want to try to figure it out. And I, and I find satisfaction in that process. I also find a lot of frustration if I can't get responses, if I can't, if I can't find the answer to the question right away, if it takes me some time, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle. Right. But, um, I think that's an important thing is, is you just have to have this kind of curiosity about the world and you're, it's just like you, you know, you, you are curious about history. And so you listen to this history podcast, you are curious about the vaccine. So you're doing little research on the side on, you know, what, uh, what, what is MRNA and, you know, what is the cytoplasm of a cell and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, I, know, I know, I know that. I mean, I, I have, I have a cursory understanding of, of biology, but, you know, I, I've been hearing a lot of concerns and fears out there. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm fiercely independent. And I, I believe that, you know, we need to make decisions that are in, in our best interest. And, and I certainly don't want to be controlled, but at the same time, I want to make informed decisions. And so that means I, I, you know, I can't just go with the surface level. Oh, you know, vaccines are bad or vaccines are good. Well, why is, you know, let's figure out what, what the issue is and, and why are some people afraid and, and why are, are other people like, this is, this is good. What are the risks, right? You have to, it just takes a little bit of time. And that's what, you know, I love that you're curious and that's what makes you um, so growth mindset oriented, which helps you to be that T-shaped employee. And I think that's, um, that's one of the reasons why you're in demand and it's a perfect example of what is needed today. And so, um, well, that's all I have to say about that. Well, and, and right back at you, right, Spencer. I mean, that's the reason why you're in demand too. I mean, even in this crazy time, you've got an incredible amount of work. <laughs> your, your pipeline is, is substantial and it's because people realize that you have a rather unique combination of skills that can add value to their organization and help them solve problems. And, and that's what we're really advocating is for individuals and teams to also build a more holistic set of skills. It's okay to be a a specialist and, and have a, and have a deep focus, but at the same time, you need to also have a broad, not as deep, but a broad set of skills that will allow you to leverage your expertise and, and have more influence in your team or have your team have greater influence in the organization than they currently do. That's right. You're absolutely right. Well said. All right. The timer has gone off. I think our conversation is now fully baked. <laughs> I just have some, my next appointments calling me. And, and uh, so, he, yeah. 
So we'll let you go. We'll let you go help another person, Spencer, but we appreciate you taking time to help our listeners. If people want to learn more about how they can be helped by the services that you and Altium Leadership provides, what's the best way for them to reach out and contact you? Well, go to my website, altiumleadership.com, A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. You can chat me there just right on the website or email me directly at Spencer. S-P-E-N-C-E-R at altiumleadership.com. How can they find the incredible and talented and in-demand Christian Napier? Well, let me ask him. <laughs> uh, easy. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Christian Napier on LinkedIn, or you can go to my website, gp4.com, gpfour.com, or you can email me at cnapier, N-A-P-I-E-R, at gp4.com. So Spencer has been another enlightening, uh, engaging conversation. Thank you. I, I think you've earned the right to talk about yourself in third person. So go for it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pass for now, but maybe on another episode, uh, <laughs> listeners, thanks for the time. Please like, and subscribe to our podcast and we'll catch you again soon.